Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. You're listening to unityonlineradio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions with your host, Reverend Paul John Roach. So, hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. Yes, I'm your host, Paul John Roach, coming to you from Fort Worth, Texas. It's still warm today, but I think snow is on its way, so we're going to prepare for that, but Today, I welcome Jan Phillips to the show. Uh, Jan is a writer, a photographer, world traveler, blogger, musician, mystic, um, social activist, and now the author of the Unity book, Still on Fire, Field Notes from a Queer Mystic. So it's a joy and pleasure to welcome Jan to today's show. Glad you're with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You know, the book is called, as we just referenced, Still on Fire. And now in 2022, after a, a most eventful life, and you, you spell a lot of it out in the book, uh, you can still say, can't you, I'm still on fire. So what does that mean? What I had Describe what being on fire, because I think a lot of us you know, live sort of lives where we wish we had a little more fire and zest and, and whatever it is that, you know, we want to be more fired up. So what what is being on fire mean for you? Well, what it means for me is that I'm undaunted by fear of failure. And I'm motivated and find my meaning in acting out, speaking out, being an advocate. So whatever it is, things always come along that one needs to speak out about. And I I think the most interesting mid-course correction in my activism occurred after George Floyd's murder when that was my personal reckoning with the extent of the damage that our systemic racism leads to in this country. So that's most recently affected me in my political social action. But still on fire really means that I don't care I don't have to know all the successes of what my actions are. I just believe that every one of us has ripple effects. And whenever you encounter what feels like a problem, you can do something about it. And I do something about everything I encounter that feels like 
a wrong or a problem or something that needs me. So that's what still on fire means to me. I'm 72, but I'm unstoppable. There we go. Excellent. Yeah. Um, Engaged, right? Um, We haven't checked out yet. You know, I know a lot of people, as you get older, you say, oh, I've been there, done that. You know, it's the same old thing. You know, everything's whatever. Um, I can't be bothered anymore. But that's sad in a way, because I think to be engaged, you know, is important. But also not not engaged from from a neediness point of view, right? From from um, as it, I think from reading a book, you're engaged from the sense of the connectedness you feel to the the divine, right? The 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 larger order of things, and and that sort of helps impel you forward because you 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 know you're in the flow of that of that energy. I I don't say God because you prefer not to use you know the old God. But 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 the the sense of something flowing a force through through everything that you can participate in. Yeah, it's like having an invisible dance partner. Right? <laughs> you just you keep moving, you keep feeling the impact, you keep feeling the nudge at, at your back, and you just keep twirling and swirling. But you never get to see the partner because that's the it's the yin to our yang. You know, we're never going to see those forces. But any artist, anybody who's ever done anything creative at all, knows the feeling of the uplift, right? Just when you're in the middle of something and you're wondering how can I, how will these things come together, it helps, right? It's like that Emily Dickinson quote. The only news I get is bulletins all day from immortality. That's what of course, we get. That's, the title of, that's the title of your bulletins. blog, isn't it? Yeah. What's that? I said that's the title of your blog, right? Bulletins from immortality. Yeah, that's a that's a Sunday morning uh, email I send out to all the nine thousand people on my mailing list. It, it gives them an uplift some creative support, you know, some reason to keep keep moving through it no matter where you are in the trajectory. You know, we have to go through the dark, we have to go through the winter, we have to go through the cold, but we're here for each other and that's how I'm here for my community. Is And that's why the book subtitle is Field Notes from a Queer Mystic because my community, my LGBTQ community right now, we need support. You know, there's a lot of homophobia. There's a lot of transphobia. There's a lot of people getting hurt by others and and hurting themselves by by giving up and killing themselves. And so I wanted to alert the masses that this was a book for our community. I also want to redefine the meaning of the word mystic so it doesn't set people back in the Middle Ages, but it really contemporizes the idea of mysticism as something that's more common than we may know about because it just means one's having an unmediated communion with the invisible forces. 
you know, we, we all, a lot of us were taught you need a priest, you need an imam, you need a minister, a rabbi, but nobody needs anybody to have that sense of unity with the creative forces. Right, it's a direct experience, as you said, and yeah, unfortunately, you know, when people use the word mystic, it's it's sort of equal to mumbo jumbo, isn't it? Oh, it's all it's mystical and all that, we're, we're, which is sad, really. It's like the word myth too has become degraded into, you know, like a fairy story. But myth and mystic and and you know, the, these are ways of penetrating into the depths of who we are, right? And and they um, we need to retrieve these words, I think, and and help them uh, become meaningful again. Um, and a lot of people are doing this. You're, you're one of them. Um, you know, many people are talking about being a mystic in, in the modern world and um, being engaged in it. It's not it's not an ivory tower thing as much as it's an embodiment, right? We're, we're bringing our direct experience of this force or this oneness in, into activity, you know, wherever we are. And it's um, I love unity because of that, because we talk about practical mysticism or practical spirituality you know it's not just for sunday is it it's for every day of the week absolutely every morning i start out every day with you know at least a half an hour and in solitude and gratitude for you know the privilege i have to be alive and do my work to feel like it matters I have a little short poem called What is a Mystic? I'd love to read. Yeah, please. What is a mystic? Someone who has mastered abandon. Someone who is mad for mystery. Who seeks out uncertainty and picks doubt for a dance partner. A mystic is someone who lights the candle and cries for joy, crazy in love with no one. A mystic doesn't argue about God, defend God, crusade for God. A mystic is a burning bush, a spark of the holy bonfire, the one in the corner who is laughing at nothing. Don't look for bruised knees, bowed heads, hands clasped or beating breasts. Don't listen for mea culpa, talk of sin, right or wrong. If you're looking for a mystic, look in the forest, not a church. Look for someone with an apron on, with work boots and gloves. Look for someone who's pitching in, helping out. Someone doing something to set this world aright. A mystic makes breakfast of the great beloved and all day long metabolizes love. Make sense? I love it. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the, the good news is that we're all mystics, right? Essentially, um, we tend to think, oh, well, only special people who live, you know, in caves in the Himalayas or whatever, um, or special saints or whatever can have that mystic experience, which is which is not true at all. You know, I think we've all we've all had them. I know if you're in unity, you've probably had one because that's what drew you to this unitive path. And um and, and likewise, you know, you're articulating those um, those paradoxes quite nicely, because I think 
you know, spiritual path is an embrace of paradox, isn't it? It's um, it's nothing and everything. You know, we are not important, and yet we're we're essentially important you know, both at the same time. So it, it's a it's an interesting balance to to live this this spiritual life um, and and be embodied. You know, be in be in this um, necessity to be human as well. Yeah, well, I I think you're right about everyone could be a mystic, but I don't believe we're mystics by default. I think there's a certain something that we have to bring to the table, which is a commitment of time. You know, when you set aside time every day to be in that mystical presence, that's what you bring to the table. It's like, Imagine falling madly in love with somebody and you're going to have a love affair and every time the person calls to say, when can we meet, you say you're too busy, right? There's something wrong with that equation. And it feels a lot of people say to me, I'm too busy to meditate or I'm too busy to pray or contemplate. And I and I just translate that as, well, you're... Well then, admit it. You're too you're too busy to be a mystic. You're not choosing that because you cannot be a mystic if you don't make the time for the mystical presence. Right, that's a good point. And you know, it, it's the, I love the analogy of the love affair too because you know, if you if you don't commit, you know, if you if you don't want to get together, then there's no. There's no real relationship there, is there? It's just a nice, no. nice idea, you know. Of course, yeah. getting intimacy in a relationship is scary, all right? And so is intimacy yeah. with the divine. So we're, we're afraid sometimes, you know, what, what might happen to me, you know? Might, maybe I'll be annihilated by this energy, this power. And in a sense, we are, right? We're, we're taken over by it. Um, we lose our old sense of who we were, but there's a, there's a refreshing new sense of who we are, right? Uh, which is much more magnificent than the old us, if you like. Yeah, I can agree with that. You know, a lot of your book, you um, you spend a lot of time, you know, struggling with rules and conditioning. And, and of course, from the Catholic background, you were a Catholic nun for... Uh, or a postulate for a, for a while, um, they're almost the brainwashing that we all go through, right? To think a certain way. And it, it's tough to, you know, for those of us that don't fit that, you know, we feel rejected, we're outliers. Um, and, and you talk in detail about that throughout the book. Um, but what, I, what I'm re- really interested in is that after all that um, struggle, you know, with that conditioning, and um, Many of us can empathize, I think, with with some of our church upbringing. We can also empathize with societal uh, controls as well. But, but what's remarkable, I think, is at the end of it, you know, you can still write a, a prayer poem, um, which is at the front of the book, uh, called My Gratitude to Catholicism, right? And um, so how did that come about? Because many of us can say, well, I'm glad I've escaped from that conditioning and that you know, old uh, uh, toxic upbringing. I'm never going back again. But but there's a power when you can be grateful, right, for all the aspects of it, warts and all, um, because there was good in it, right? I, I look I look back on my old uh, Church of England upbringing, 
and and find it meaningful now in a way that I just reacted violently against when I was young. Um, so how does that work? And it's a it's a lovely poem, by the way, or prayer. My gratitude Thank to Catholicism. I think that it, it, when you said earlier about the paradox, embracing the paradox, that's what that poem does because Catholicism gets the Olympic gold medal in brainwashing. And <laughs> the reason the reason why is because they do it when we're young and, <clears throat> and they use every sensual tool to saturate us in what they're presenting as the one true faith. So every Catholic child knows the smell of frankincense the sound of the hallelujah chorus, the visuals of benediction and the gold monstrance and being being sprinkled with holy water, having the holy water font in the front of the church. It's so sensual, way more sensual than, you know, a Lutheran church or a Baptist church, right? All the stained glass, everything about it. So I'm aware that my imagination has been colonized by Catholicism. And I think that I have a Catholic imagination because even though I'm able to write about all the doctrines that I no longer believe in, it doesn't mean that I'm not a Catholic in my imagination. You know, they successfully installed the software and I walk about right in inhabiting it so I use it to the best of my ability and the Catholic Church has come up with so many brilliant forms for perpetuating its ideas like a book of hours you know my last book was called it's in the format of a book of hours I write psalms and lamentations that are appropriate for today. So it's like putting new wine in old wineskins. The, the Catholic Church has given us so many beautiful structures, even the structure of the Mass, right? I, I teach all around the country, and we always end with closing circle, and that closing circle often takes the shape of the Mass, right? There's often but we don't use any of the perfunctory tools, just the structure, opening song, opening prayer, opening poem, a couple readings, a reflection on the reading, a blessing of the food that we share with each other, more songs, right? So that's why I'm grateful to Catholicism, even though it caused me to be suicidal at age 12 because it perpetuated the idea that homosexuals were the worst thing ever and should just be dead. So I was just going to kill myself at age 12. So there's the paradox for you. Greatest thing that ever happened to me, worst thing that ever happened to me. But I'm steeped in it. So there you have it. Right. And, and, uh, I think that the same's true with uh, the, you know, the mystics of, of Catholicism. I, I, uh, 
you know, I'm greatly drawn to, particularly to Meister Eckhart, but there's many other great mystics, uh, Teresa of Avila, you know, John of the Cross, and more modern ones like uh, Thomas Merton and, and uh, Taya de Chardin, you know, that are wonderful people. And actually, many of them weren't really uh, embraced by the Catholic Church during their life, you know, but, but now later on, you know, when they're safe and dead, um, they're lifted up a little more. Um, but even so, I think, you know, Meister Eckhart is still on the periphery here because his, his ideas were still, they are still incredibly radical, almost Buddhist. And, um, but, but what wonderful, you know, wonderful mystics they were, right? Um, and, and continue to inspire many people uh, to this day. And, and yet coming out of, you know, some of more, the more rigid, uh, whatever formulas of, of the church. And, and um, you know, we're not knocking Catholicism at this show, but we're pointing out that, you know, any system, right, can be, uh, can get into a sort of fundamentalist point of view, if you like. And, I, and, and that, can, that can hamper us from being free sometimes. And, and we see it certainly in other religions where there's a fundamentalist element. But in all religions, there's also this... Um, mystical, more open uh, side of things, which um, we, we particularly love to focus on in unity because we believe in that unitive vision um, and to go beyond the formulas in, into, you know, like we said earlier, direct experience, um, unmediated connection, you know, without, without the priest in the way. Um, one of the things you talk about, and exactly in an article, um, I guess it's from the book in, in Unity magazine, I know that because I have an article in the coming uh, March, April, uh, Unity magazine, sh shameless uh, promotion. So check both articles out, folks. Jan's article and mine, I'm talking about the uh, immediate and gradual paths to enlightenment. Um, but your article is about uh, leaving God for God, which, of course, is um, Meister Eckhart, right, originally. Um, what, do yeah. you, what does that mean, leaving God for God? I, I mean, I understand it, but some of our listeners might not be familiar with that. It, it means leaving the concept of God as that Sistine Chapel version, that male patriarchal God who actually created everything in seven days. Leaving the concept of God for the experience of God. So it's like leaving God with a small g for God with big, huge capital letters. And, you know, I did that already today. A few hours ago, I sat in my bed and breathed in God and breathed out me. You know, it's like I think of God as the air in my lungs and the air that I'm breathing. I mean, continual movement with this force. It's ongoing creation. And I'm an edge of it, right? Uh, humans are a particular edge of creation. And, you know, there's probably trillions of other planets where there's animated life and brilliance and more commitment to gratitude and kindness and mercy than we have in this culture. But we're doing it as we do it here, and we're all co-creators. We're all participants. We're all witnesses. So I'm just trying to be the most conscious 
co-creator of culture as I can be so that my legacy will never be, well, she didn't do anything. (laughs) I have a trail of things I've done. I've got physical bookshelves full of things I've done and left behind. And even though they say a prophet's never known in her own time and in her own town, who cares? You just keep being prophetic. And I know when I die, there's going to be people that go, oh, crap, I wish I knew where when. <laughs> and they didn't, right? They didn't. They didn't find me. They didn't. You know, we're all looking for, we're all reading. Look at what's on your bookshelves. Those are the people that you found that are helping you kind of put words to and flesh out this experience that we're having and this experiment that we're making and participating in. So I I know I can be helpful to people, and I'm just glad, for example, we're doing this interview because now what I have to say will reach more people and can be helpful to them. That's the only motivation ever. And we're glad you're on the show too and um, and bringing this message. And, and folks, get hold of the book. It's, it's a lovely read. It's very um, well written, number one, um, and, but it's very honest. And uh, I think speaks to many commonalities that we might all feel in one way or another, feeling not, they don't fit in, but finding a greater truth, a more magnificent life and then um, in, in Jan's case, the desire to, to make a difference, to be an activist, to, to write and to do rather than just philosophize. Uh, and so it's a very practical book. And it's sprinkled with uh, these prayers and poems that from, uh, from Jan herself and from others that are really uplifting. And um, I hope we're going to be able to read the um, part of your morning meditation, that, that beautiful prayer maybe towards the end of the show, because I think that would be a lovely way to, to finish our, our show today. Um, so, okay. yeah, giving up God, giving up God for God. You know, I think sometimes we, we throw out the baby with the bathwater, as they say. You know, we give up the, this transcendent God, hoping for an imminent God, a God within ourselves. But then, you know, we forget that God is also transcendent. You know, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's important to have both i think right the 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 god that's so magnificent you know he would it, it would burn us up if it was it revealed itself to us um and yet the, you know the, also the the usable god oh we're at the break folks i'm chuntering on let's stop uh, come back in a couple of minutes uh, to listen to jan phillips after these messages from unity john is there Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 Discover the power within. 
unityonlineradio.org, the voice of an awakening world. We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. So welcome back to today's show. I'm with Jan Phillips, and we're talking about her wonderful book, Still on Fire, Field Notes from a Queer Mystic. Let's talk about that queer mystic um, aspect a little bit, because uh, it, it obviously it's a huge thing in your life, Jan. Um, you know, feeling rejected. There's many stories of the way you were treated by people, you know, because they couldn't get their heads around somebody being queer, gay, whatever, lesbian. Um, and, you know, I grew up in, the, you know, around the same time that you did. And of course, back in those days, it was very much hidden. Um, in later on, it, it became more, you know, out there um, and uh, normalized to a degree. But now we seem to be going into another sort of retrenching, you know, where there's a lot of attacks on, on people who aren't uh, heterosexual. Um, despite all the movements that have, you know, happened in the last 50 years. So where, where do you think we are with that? Because it's a disturbing trend in my mind, you know, that we're, we've, we've come far, but now we're, we're seeing some um, revisionism going on, right? Or yes, it looks, like, it looks like that to me. Um, it was actually homophobic experience that caused me in 1971 to become an an activist my very first activist move was to speak out in a human sexuality class about what it feels like to be discriminated against in that way and hated by total strangers just because you were born this way and i realized that I always, whenever I experience any kind of wrongdoing, I just launch right into some kind of action toward justice. So I have all my life been a, a, a gay activist, and, fo you know, photography is my medium of expression. So, I, you know, I have photographed gay pride parades all over, all over the country, and and... Right now, it's just so totally incorporated into my being that I, it's hard to just separate it out. But I, I get in my mailbox every day uh, news bulletins from an LGBT kind of watch, what do you call it, watch group that's aware of all of the terrible ways that LGBTQ community is is what we have to deal with right now, and I must admit that it's it's kind of hard to believe that there's still people refusing to make wedding cakes for a gay marriage, and there's still people thinking that teachers ought to out the kids in their classes who are queer. It's just like. It's a mean-spiritedness, and let's just face it. It's been in the air since Trump. And it, we haven't known how to overcome the polarization that is so enhanced by his 
divisiveness. And so all I know to do is just keep being out wherever I can, right? Someone said putting putting queer mystic on your book covers like shooting yourself in the foot. And to some extent that may be true, but I don't care because there's so few books that have queer in the subtitle or the title. And so those gay teens that are on the edge pondering whether they should stay alive or not, I wanted them to be able to find this, to be able to Google queer and find something positive and hopeful that can lead them forward and keep them alive. That was the whole reason I went into the convent because a nun kept me from killing myself when I was 12. And I, so I said, wow, nuns have some kind of magic wand because look at this nun kept me alive and transformed me from a sick little caterpillar into a thriving butterfly. I think I'll be a nun so I can do that for other kids. Well, it didn't last long because I was kicked out after two years for being gay, we might add. But anyway, it was just I needed those two years to get my spiritual underpinnings. You know, it wasn't a good fit for me personality-wise because I just was not designed for obedience to, to some other human authority. So... That didn't work, but those two years in the convent really helped form my life, and I'm right. very, very grateful. Right. Yeah, That's why I learned yeah. the formula for bliss. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah. So again, you know, the the, the apparent paradox, right? And um, the the fact that everything, you know, ultimately is for is for our good. You know, no matter how trying it seems at the time and and so this, 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 especially if we can embrace it i think especially if we can understand what the significance of it is so, so much time we, resi- we resist it and therefore we can't get the blessing from it you know i think this is what happened to job you know in the book of of the same uh you know we resisted for 41 chapters you know, but eventually um you know let go and understood that there was a greater order at, at work than than his his sense of righteousness and and therefore receive the blessing and I, we don't have to wait all that time you know to get the blessing it, it's, it's if we're willing to embrace it doesn't mean it's not going to be it's going to be easy you know your your experience was not easy but um you're remarkable in the sense you you know you've um you've you've taken joy and bliss from it um, just just to let you know, folks, the cover of the book is Jan walking down a looks like a street in Italy somewhere, and it's kind of gray, gray brown. She's wearing a black outfit, but then there's this long, uh, multicolored uh, rainbow uh, scarf or shawl draped over her shoulder, um, uh, which you know causes great uh, excitement in the midst of that fairly drab monochromatic scene and. Uh, I love it because it's it just uh, sums up the fire and, and the queer mystic idea. And she's walking uh, upright uh, and uh, with determination uh, down that street of life. So it's, it's a great cover in, in that regard. Um, so it, and that's another thing I want to say about the book. You know, it's it's um, it's encouraging. Right. It's it's optimistic. Uh, you you cannot be. Um, 
bowed down in any way, right? That I think that's the image I get of, of you in this book is that you you keep bouncing back. Yes, they can't beat me. They can't scare me. <laughs> they can't yeah. win ever. Yeah. No. That's great. That's great. So you you've you've journeyed worldwide, and you described some of the. Uh, uh, trips in, in in the book and, and some of the spiritual experiences you've been to Japan and India and Nepal, Nigeria, Iceland, you know, amongst many others. And each place there's been a, you know, either doing activism or having a spiritual opening. Um, I love the India one because uh, you resisted India quite a bit, didn't you? The craziness of it, um, the, insa- the seeming insanity of it. But there was a breakthrough, right? Talk about that. Yes, because I was so every day agitated in every way by what, you know, it's the twilight zone for an American to be in India. It's just like the opposite. It's almost the opposite of our own culture because what they're committed to is getting as many people jobs as can be. So I told the story of one of them, I'm on a bus and I'm trying to get from, you know, Calcutta to Delhi or something. I don't know where, but the bus pulls over and stops still for, I don't know, probably 45 minutes. And I'm agitated now because you're supposed to be on a bus that keeps going toward the destination. So <laughs> I get out, I get out of the bus. There's all these people out there, hundreds of people getting off other buses and I said what's going on here and a guy said to me all those people have pails and big spoons and they're going to take that mountain down they're going to remove that hill so we can widen the road here and I'm like you got to be kidding you got to be kidding me you guys have a space program what, what where's the caterpillars and the bulldozers and he said we just try to give people as much work as they we can. Imagine that in the U.S. or imagine that in where you were from. You know, it's like, it was frustrating. So I find myself in India every day out in some street flailing my arms in anger and disenchantment. And I, and I said to myself, this is a, this place is a mirror to you and you're, I, I'm, you're not going to be able to leave until you have one or two days of not being upset. And I couldn't get there. Every single day things would happen, right? I'd get a rickshaw driver who says, oh, it'd be 500 rupees to take you here. You know, he gets lost down the way and stops and says, it's going to be 1,000 rupees now because he got lost. Mm -hmm. You know, those kinds of things. I took a letter it's going to send a letter back, a fundraising letter back to all my friends. I go to a street typist. How many rupees to type this letter? Oh, 25 rupees to type the letter. With no mistakes? Oh, yeah. With no mistakes. How long? Two days. I come back in two days. I have my 25 rupees. I give it to the guy, and there's tons of mistakes. All these typos. I said, I, you promised me no mistakes. He goes, 
100 rupees, no mistakes. Like <laughs> those kinds of things make, I hate to say Americans mad, but it just feels like it's out of the realm of ethics. And so I, I was in India for three full months of rewiring my brain so that I did not perceive India as the problem. I had to train myself to perceive my thinking as the problem, and that took me three months. And so then I finally gave myself permission to leave India and go into Egypt. But I'm telling you, it takes a long time to rewire a brain. At least it did <laughs> for me. Yeah. I know the feeling. I've been to India many times, and uh, it is a maddening place, but it's also a wonderful place, you know, full of mysteries and, and uh, openings. And uh, some of the biggest openings, like you said, are in dealing with our own uh, shadow or projections, you know, that we put on um the place we're at. Uh, I could, last time I went there, I couldn't believe how quiet it was when I got back, you know, because all of life is on the street in India, right? And uh, yeah. everything goes on at the, on the street. And it, it seemed so empty when I got back to Fort Worth, Texas, you know. Uh, it seemed impoverished, actually. So, so it, it was the opposite. I felt there was a richness and a, and a wealth in India and, and that we were living poor lives. We're all cocooned in our own little boxes, you know, or whether it be a house or a car. And, and, uh, and of course, now with COVID, we're, we're forced to be even more separate. So, um, yeah, India, India is definitely a, a place you, you can't be um, indifferent about. That's, that's for sure. Let's talk about that's forgiveness. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk about forgiveness. Uh, you know, many of us say, and I think you say too, there's nothing to forgive, right, ultimately. Um, but, you know, some of us struggle with this thing called forgiveness, how to forgive people uh, for being, I guess it dovetails a bit with, you know, forgiving India for being India. Um, but how do we forgive people who have hurt us? Well, I think it depends on being able to see the event from three different perspectives. And this requires some spiritual intelligence and maturity. But take an event that happened to you where you feel somebody done you wrong. So you got that reality where you were the victim, somebody treated you badly, and you go, I'm not going to forgive them. But there's two other aspects. Because life happens to us, it happens through us, and it happens for us. So... And the part where it happens through us is that if you re-examine that event, you'll probably see your fingerprints on it in some way, but you yeah. co-created you co-created that event, face it. You know, you were there, things happened, you want to blame somebody, but you 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 contributed to the shape shifting of that event. So that's life happening through you. And then life happening for you. It's like all day long we call out, bring, we call out, I want adventure. I want experience. I want big adventure. That's our soul, right? Because the grist 
for our souls mill it's big experience it's those big events that are life-shaping and life-altering and mine was being kicked out of the convent that's the biggest thing for me but it took me 20 years of being filled with shame and rage and grief and anger and you know drank a lot promiscuous a lot drugs a lot end up in jail Right, I had a lot of downfalls related to I'm blaming them for doing me wrong. And then after 20 years, I tell the story in the book, so your your listening audience will will find it in there. But the the nut of it is that I sat with a woman who was the head of the mother house where I was in the convent, and asked her. This is 20 years after the fact if she let me unfold my story in her presence and maybe her being a witness would help me, you know, close the gap in my heart. So she did that, and during the course of it, she asked me to forgive her and to forgive the community of Sisters of St. Joseph. And as I was considering forgiveness because I never really had that experience in that box. I never had a feeling I'm never going to forgive them. But when she said, will you forgive me and will you forgive us, the insight that burrowed its way into my brain was there's nothing to forgive. And then, like a quantum leap, I lived in the other universe where they did me the biggest favor of my life by letting me go after giving me the privilege of two years of a monastic life to be shaped in my spiritual mm, journey. And so that's what I mean by there's nothing to forgive. It's my standard measurement. You know, I never have. I always know whatever happens to me doesn't require my forgiveness because I know it's happening for me as well as through me as well as to me. But I can't put that on every other human being. Everybody has to arrive at their own, you know, commitment in the matter. Because, you know, you don't say to a Holocaust survivor... There's nothing to forgive. You don't say to a person with breast cancer, oh, you co-created that, right? It's just putting too much on someone else's experience. But I can put it on my own life easily, and I and I do. Very good point there. Yes, absolutely. I don't want to run out of time, um, so I'm going to tell people about next week's show, and then I'd love you to read the... Uh, the, the final uh, prayer, poem, whatever, okay. in in the book, because I think it's a wonderful way to for us to close in a very uplifting way. So next week, uh, author, uh, pioneer in the field of uh, spiritual emergence and founder of the Awakening in the Dream community, Paul Levy joins me, and he's going to talk about his book, Wetico, um, which is healing the mind virus that plagues our world. Um, Fascinating book, uh, should be an interesting show. So join me then for that next week. But uh, to close, let's let's listen to Jan read her prayer for 
my morning meditation, as she calls it. I, th I find it very uplifting. I think you will, too. Prayer from my morning meditation. I have no name for you coursing through my veins, feeding me like sun feeds the tulip and rain feeds the rose. I can't call you Father, Mother God. I call you mine. I call you me. We are entwined and not a molecule separates us. This bond of seen and unseen, infinite and finite, this ardor, oh, unnameable mystery, words of gratitude fly from my mouth like starlings. Every nanosecond you swirl through me, breathing me, lifting me, lighting me, I blaze across your sky like a runaway comet. Rain from your thundercloud saturates my desert. The sound of your hail awakens my joy. Yes, I am a star burst in the big bang of you, spiraling towards the black hole of you, all ravenous and voracious, craving your emptiness. Nothing exists but the breath of you, breathing us day and night. We call ourselves seekers, though wherever we look, you are there. I remember you. I proclaim you in verbs and nouns. I wear the skin of you, dispense your aroma with every move. The splendor of you graces the world when I walk by so casually radiating your fire. Beautiful. So, Thank you. And that's the, really a, a, a wonderful summation, I think, of, of what I think of as mysticism, right? That uh, being in the flow of this amazing universe that we're in and terms like God, you know, would only get in the way of that, right? Because then we're, we're back into our heads again. We're into our conceptual or discursive mind, which is nice. You know, it's okay. We need to systematize things, but it, it's no substitute for the direct experience that you're conveying there, right? And and it's an exuberant experience, isn't it? It's it's full of uh, mystery and joy and possibility, and, and yet it's it's in the ordinary everyday events as well. It's it's in the the, the hail as much as the sun, you know, it's it's in the the, the taking of uh, enjoying food, it, it's in sex, it's 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 everywhere. It's it, it's part and parcel of uh, of everything that we are. Amen. Well said. <laughs> well, I'm I'm an old mystic myself, so I can. <laughs> I can empathize with these things, but I do love the idea that it's not a philosophy, you know, that it's not a lovely idea. And, I, and I'm I'm a big um, intellectual reader type person. I, I can be quite happy just uh, philosophizing all day, but that ultimately I know that that's you know not not the full the full story. You know, that it has to come down into our into our life experience, into our bodies, and that's really where it becomes magical. I think because then. 
you know, everything we do is a spiritual experience, right? We're not, we're not labeling it that. It just is. It's, it's, it, you know, it's, um, it, it, we're fully alive, if you like. You know, my late wife used to say, have no near-life experiences. And uh, I, I I've always loved that phrase because so often we settle for that instead of being fully alive. And I think being still on fire is being fully alive, yes? Yeah, that's for sure. Fully alive. Undone. So if you, if you have one thing to share with our audience this week to to help, to encourage, um, what what might it be? Just in the last minute or so of our show, what would you like to share? I would like to say make a commitment at least five minutes a day to be in a room by yourself in total silence and pretend you're a satellite dish for supreme intelligence and see what gets broadcast to you from that great place of love and light. You'll start noticing your life taking on more passion, more purpose, and more bliss. That's my promise to you. I love that. That's beautiful. And if people want to find out more about what you do, Jen, you have a website, right? Oh, yeah. I should just say sign up for my newsletter list because then you'll get a bulletin from Immortality every Sunday morning. Just go to janphillips.com and sign up for my for my newsletter. And I have a shop there. And if you want to buy your book there, I'll, I'll sign it for you and I will... Uh, Put a couple bookmarks in for you. So, Excellent. There you have it. And Thanks. you can get the book from uh, unity.org or from Jan's site. Um, check out her article in uh, the upcoming Unity magazine, which will be out in the March-April edition. And that also has links to the book as well. So, yeah, it's been a joy to, to have uh, Jan Phillips on today's show. Thank you so much, Jan. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Take care of yourself and good luck with your book. Thank you. And thanks to everybody for listening in. Have a good week. All right. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org.